0: turning in the Lord's Word once again, after a little break, to Romans chapter 7, Romans 7, we'll commence reading in verse 14, and read through to the end of the chapter, Romans chapter 7, verse 14, let's hear God's inspired Word, "'For we know that the law is spiritual,' But I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with flesh the law of sin. God be pleased to add his own blessing to that reading from his word for his name's sake. Let's bow our heads in prayer and let's all seek the Lord together. Father in heaven, we come now again in Jesus' name asking for that gracious help from the throne of grace. We pray that the Holy Ghost will empower the preacher, strengthen him for the labor in the word of God tonight, and he will be the one who enlightens the understanding. And give that gracious ability to grasp spiritual truth and not only to grasp it, but to embrace it with the heart, to love it and to work it out in our day-by-day living. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. From this well-known and well-worn passage for most of God's children who've walked with the Lord for any length of time, we take up again this evening the subject of the Christian and his his great dilemma, his big problem. That dilemma, as we've been seeing, is how to view, how to think about, and how to deal with the presence of evil in the Christian's life. How do we deal with the presence of evil, the presence of sin in our life? Paul couched this dilemma that every child of God faces in these terms. For the good that I would, that I desire, that I want to do, I do not. But the evil, which I would not, which I do not desire, that I do. That's been your experience this past week. You can say, I understand what he's talking about. Since we last met, preacher, I did things... I said things, I thought things that I knew were wrong. I didn't want to, but I did them anyway. And preacher, this past week, there were things that I knew I should have done, but I didn't. Indeed, the depth of this dilemma is felt by Paul when he writes, how to perform that which is good? I find not. He says, in essence, I I want to obey God's law. I try to obey God's law, but I can't find in myself the wherewithal to carry My desires through as I would like. There's Paul's and every believer's quandary. I said that beating at the heart of this quandary is the fact that every true believer loves the Lord and he loves the Lord's law, he wants to please the Lord. As Paul writes in verse 22, I delight in the law of God after the inward man. I've got no problem with God's commandments. If he tells me I shouldn't do this, then that's fine with me. That's exactly what I want. I shouldn't be doing that. And if he says I should be doing this, then that's what I want. I I don't have any issue with God's requirements. As, As David said in Psalm 119, Oh, how I love thy law, it is my meditation all the day. Well, now, that does throw some light upon what it is to love the Lord's law, doesn't it? He said, I love the law, and that's why I meditate on God's law all the day. And the reason for this love of God's commandments is because the believer, through being born again, through this new birth regeneration, he has been made a new creation. from being at war with God and having hatred toward God, being in conflict with God and opposing God, being a rebel, being a rebel, it all changed. I got involved in a little text conversation, whatever they call those things, with my son. He had heard someone say that God saves sinners if he doesn't save rebels, and he laughed at that. I said, well, you know... Uh, he was right when he said that God does not save rebels. He doesn't save rebels. Do you understand? The Lord does not save rebels. If a man is a rebel, he is still opposing God. He's still fighting against God. It isn't until that man, his weapons are put down, and he surrenders. That's another word for repentance, folks. You know, there won't be salvation without repentance. Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. That's what Jesus Christ said. The key thing that you want to understand is that that repentance from sin and that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ comes after regeneration, not before it. It comes after the new birth, not before it. You can't believe and you can't repent if you're actually dead in sin. It's only when you have life that you have the ability to believe in Jesus Christ and to turn from your sin and to turn to Jesus Christ. When you do that, you're no longer a rebel, so the Lord doesn't save rebels. Not in the strict sense of the term. So that's why there's this quandary, we have been made new creations in Christ Jesus. We're not rebels anymore. We're, we're friends of God. And the Lord, as part of this covenant uh, of grace, he has promised to put his law in our hearts, to teach us his law. Uh, th- th- does he not say, you won't need to be taught of men, but I myself will write my law in your hearts? Ezekiel puts it like this, does he not? Chapter 36, God says, A new heart also will I give you. A new heart. And a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh. That is, the heart that's not hard, but a heart that's tender. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. Isn't that wonderful? And I will cause you to walk in my statutes. But as we saw in our last time together, the child of God has what Paul calls another law in an operation inside him. And that law is the law of sin. Paul calls it evil. He calls it death. Death. While every Christian has within him this this, this new heart and this new new principle of holiness, this new law, because he's a new creature, every Christian also has this old sin principle. And that old sin principle hates the Lord and hates his law. Just might as well accept it. You have within you that which detests the law of God. Although the child of God has been completely forgiven of all of his sins, it's all been dealt with. There's not one sin that was not atoned for by the blood of Christ being shed upon Calvary although the guilt and the condemnation of his sin has been removed forever by the death of Christ, the Christian, and this is what Paul is saying, and this is what you were telling me, because I could read your minds a little bit ago, that's how that's been for you this past week. You have not been completely delivered from the presence nor the power of this sin that dwells in you. You still feel it. Sometimes you feel it stronger than others. Sometimes it's like it's raging. But it's always there. You wake up with it, you go to bed with it. This flesh. The indwelling sin, Paul assures every believer, will never dominate the child of God but it still has this power to exert itself and exert itself as does through he says the members of my body the body is an instrument through which the flesh works its desires out so you've got you know it's like a it's like a, can I put it like this it's it's like spiritual schizophrenia there's two And this, this body, whether it's referring to uh, the members of our body, the, the, the organ of our brain, whatever it might be, sin seeks to exert itself, to work itself out in our behavior. That's why you lost your temper. You know it was wrong, but you did anyway. That's why you said unkind things to those who you really love. You knew it was wrong. That's why you had very ungracious thoughts toward other people. they very unkind. That's why you were rude. That's why you were callous. That's why you didn't spend a whole lot of time in prayer that you know you should have and you skipped it and you did things that you wanted to do. Because the flesh wants nothing to do with those things. All of this creates something that can never be found in any, any other person, any of them um, but a Christian, and, and it creates this, this inner conflict. Only Christians have this problem, only Christians have this dilemma. On the one hand, you have this holy nature that wants and strives to do that which pleases the Lord. On the other hand, you have this sim that wants to do anything and everything that pleases the flesh and actually rejects that which pleases the Lord. It's almost like you can uh, hear yourself talking within yourself. There's this battle going on in your mind. Paul says that this carnal mind is enmity against God it is hostile towards God and that is why the flesh wars against the spirit and that's why the spirit wars against the flesh now i ask a question since this is how it's going to be until the day we die or taken to glory and we're made sinlessly perfect what is our response to this conflict supposed to be how do we deal with the dilemma since we can never change the flesh, you can't ever change it. can't be improved. It'll always be an enemy. And since there is going to always be this constant battle, and, and since Paul said even himself he, he could not do the things that he would... Are we supposed to simply, as some would advocate, just let go and let God? Is it really all about yielding? Just surrender. Well, I can give you the answer to that question. Have you ever surrendered your life to the Lord? Maybe the follow-up question should be this how many times have you surrendered your life to the lord did it, did it make the sin go away did it make you holier more victorious Are we just supposed to accept that this is how it's going to be and there's nothing we can really do about it, just try to get through a day and do our best? Or is there something that we can do in this battle for our wills and for our affections and for our minds? So having dealt with this reason for the Christian's dilemma, I want to turn tonight to look at the response to the Christian's dilemma. From the human standpoint, and I'll deal with the divine standpoint a little bit later on, but from the human standpoint, so much hangs upon your response to this conflict going on. How you deal with the conflict, your whole mindset, your your attitude toward it and how you approach it will determine to a large degree uh, your degree of holiness, which will determine your degree of happiness, which will determine those two things together, your degree and my degree of usefulness. The holier we are, the happier we are, and there's nothing more useful to the Lord than holy, happy Christians. They're just instruments that God makes great use of, they're great advertisements for the gospel. The question is this: What is what is our response supposed to be? How, how am I supposed to? Since I got this problem, and, and the the great apostle Paul puts it so well, and and even he could not find that within himself to do this. What, what what in the world am I supposed to do to get victory over these sins? How am I supposed to be an overcomer and win these battles? Well, the answer is is found in looking at the very nature of the conflict itself. Picture the situation that you and I are in uh, right now, at this moment in time. And when we leave, when we go home, wherever we are, and when we wake up, it's still there. The situation we're in is we're in a war. And, of course, when you're in a war, uh, it's a no-brainer that you want your side to win. And you want the other side to lose. So what measures do you take when you're in a war? A battle. First, and this is really all I want to deal with tonight, you try to weaken the enemy's side as much as you can and take away every advantage that the enemy is going to have over you. Uh, This is not profound theological truth. This is not, as the old saying goes, rocket science. If you want to win... If you want the enemy, the sin that dwells within in this battle, you want to be defeated, then you seek to weaken that enemy as much as you can and take away any advantage that that enemy might have in this battle it has with you. Now that looks like something. And that's where we get into trouble. Because it does look like something in practice let me before i delve into that point out just a few reasons motivations i will call them why this is so critical that we that we seek to weaken take away from the flesh anything that would help it along anything at all that would help it along if we're serious about wanting to have victory and be an overcomer you see god's word is full of motivations it's it's uh, the, the greatest motivational book in all the world is in your lap And it's motivation particularly to war against sin and to live for the Lord. Tons of motivations within that. Tons of arguments and reasons why you should do that. And it's no different when it comes to this dilemma that we face, this great this quandary about the sin that dwells within. If you don't mortify, if you don't weaken the sin, if you don't seek to put it to death take away from it all that would strengthen it, then you're going to weaken this, um, this principle of holiness within you. If you don't weaken the sin, then you're going to weaken the principle of holiness. You're going to lose spiritual power. And that's the one thing you and I need whether it's with your thought life, whether it's with your tongue, whether it's with anything that you find is a great infirmity to you, uh, you need spiritual power and I need spiritual power to overcome. And so if we're going to, well, I'll put it like this. You, you quench the Spirit. And the last thing you and I want to do is to hinder His influence in our lives. We need more and more of the Spirit's influence in our lives, more, more of His power at work. I'll say more about that in a moment. But, but if, if we do not seek to weaken the enemy, it's going to quench in us our love for the Lord. So the hymn writer put it, Lord, it is my chief complaint that my love for thee is weak and faint. And when love is strong, It strengthens the whole, the whole soul. When love for the Lord is strong, your love for the Lord grows cold and everything else just takes a downhill turn. If we, if we don't seek to weaken it, it's going to get a hold of our mind. It's going to get a hold of our thought life. If we don't seek to weaken the enemy, and there, in your mind, it will fester and grow and make provision for itself, and you'll end up thinking wrongly and thinking wickedly, and with wicked thoughts and wrong thoughts precede evil deeds. If we don't weaken this sin principle, it will actually break out in our wills. And we'll make these decisions right smack in the face of knowing that they're wrong, knowing that they're against God's law, knowing that they grieve the Holy Ghost, that God's displeased with them, knowing all the damage it will bring to our own souls and the damage it will bring to others, we will just plow on through it all and it will show itself in our conduct. Something else that it does if we don't Face this enemy head on and seek to weaken it and take away its advantages over us, it will darken our souls. You won't have a lot of sunshine in your soul. The hymn writer sang, You raise it. I was raised in a Baptist church. There is sunshine in my soul today, more glorious and bright than glows in any earthly sky, for Jesus is my light. Oh, there's sunshine. Wonderful or blessed sunshine as the happy moments roll. When Jesus shows his smiling face, there's sunshine in my soul. Ah, but you see, you don't, you, you don't find that sunshine when sin has gone unchecked. You've not sought to take measures to weaken it. To take away its advantage. Sin always makes the believer miserable. Again, if we do not weaken the flesh, it becomes like a garden full of weeds that just grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. Where if, if, if you do weaken, if you do take away the advantages, you're like, it's like pulling the weeds up out of the garden, and there's plenty of room now for more of the good things to grow. You're, you're, you're shutting down the supply line to the enemy, so to speak. You're taking away the food to the enemy, that which strengthens him. And so when that happens, you, it's just quite understandable that there's, there aren't the hindrances to graces growing. So we have a sweeter temper, and there's a, a, a greater gentleness, and uh, pride weakens, and humility grows stronger. Selfishness starts fading away, and sacrificial spirit starts coming to the fore. Those are certainly strong motivations to weaken the flesh. But what does that look like? I said, this is where our problems come in. And we have to be brutally honest with ourselves. And we'll find out how serious we are about wanting to overcome sin. My fear is from experiences. We want to overcome it on our terms. And if it doesn't meet our terms, then we're not really that interested. Weaken your sin at every turn. The last thing you and I want to do is to give this flesh this law of sin in our members. The last thing we want to do is to give the enemy ammunition. The last thing we want to do is to give him food and supplies to help him carry on his war against us and war against this holy law in our mind. There is a text of Scripture in the 8th chapter, the very next chapter of Romans, where Paul writes, "...if ye through the Spirit..." do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. If ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Paul says if you want to live, and by that he's referring to this spiritual life that is in Christ, experiencing uh, the joy of the Lord, experiencing the comfort of the power of the life of Christ, then you, you have to, we have to, we must mortify sin. Now, what do you think that means? I mean, he, he says, this sin that dwells within me, it's there. It's always there. and So you obviously understand it doesn't mean you're going to put the sin to death once and for all, right? Because you're going to the grave with it. So it can't mean that. Like it's forever done. You'll reach a point where you are entirely sanctified. That's what John Wesley taught, perfect sanctification. That's just not going to happen, this side of glory. Amen. But, how do I... How am I going to understand this? Well, it, it depends on mortifying the deeds of the flesh. In other words, through mortifying the sin that's in our members, we take away its power... We take away its strength. In that sense, we kill it. We don't kill it off. We got, we have the stranglehold upon it. We we've weakened it. And when we take away its strength, we give ourselves the advantage in the conflict. Well, how do I how do I weaken this sin that's in me? How do I weaken this flesh so oh, that I do get the victory. What's the methodology? Well, if you're in a war, first thing you do is you become well acquainted with the strategy of your flesh. It'd be silly to go to war without trying to first figure out the enemy's methods and plans of attack. In other words, your flesh has at times gotten the advantage over you. It has led you captive. Well, then it would behoove us as Christians to labor to become very acquainted with the ways and the wiles and the methods of the flesh when it has been successful and gotten the advantage. So in other words, to go back to this past week, you lost a battle somewhere. Why did you lose the battle? Why did you think what you thought? Why did you say what you said? Why did you do what you did? The flesh was stronger than your spirit. It had the advantage. And I I understand from what Paul is writing here, I am not supposed to simply lie down and that's okay. Especially when I'm told to mortify the deeds of the body. When has that sin given you the most trouble? What has been your frame of heart when it has prevailed over you? What have been the circumstances? Where have you been in your walk with the Lord? What have you been doing? Where have you been going? What are the occasions and and the opportunities the flesh has taken to win these battles? It's as you and I do this that we learn the art of Christian warfare. We learn how to fight and we learn what it means and how we go about mortifying the flesh. I mean, if the the Holy Ghost has said, mortify the deeds of your flesh, then there's something we're supposed to do. It's not just a, a text that a preacher's supposed to preach about and then, okay, I understand that one and then walk away and never do anything about it. Mortify Kill, put the deeds of the flesh to death. Do something about it. That's why it's not this, the whole misconception of yielding. Just yield. Surrender. I walked down the aisle, I can't tell you how many times to try to deal with my sin growing up. Altar calls, I was down there. But folks it never worked it never ever worked it felt good on a sunday after some red hot preaching come and surrender your life to christ and or what's the term rededicate that's what i remember rededicate your life to the lord do you realize how many Christians have gone down an aisle sometimes week after week at a call to rededication. And, and you've got to, there's enough said from the pulpit to get somebody down the aisle. Because if you don't get them coming down the aisle, you have failed. So that's the thinking. And I'm telling you, that's utter nonsense. That is so anti-Christian, it's so anti-gospel, It's tragic. The word yield, by the way, means present. It's active. It's not passive. Not only must you and I become acquainted with the the wiles, the strategy of the flesh. Think about it as your enemy. (laughs) But you have to starve the flesh to weaken it. You can't fight without having your strength renewed. And that certainly applies to the flesh. The last thing you want to do is to engage in anything, in anything that will feed and strengthen your flesh. This law of sin that constantly abides in your members and is just waiting, it is just waiting to be strengthened it would be absolute suicide. It's insanity to do the very things that are going to strengthen the sin principle within you. Mortify it. Don't strengthen it. In other words, if the area in which your flesh rages against you is in the area of lustful thoughts then would it not make perfect sense to not look at anything, any book, any magazine, any movie or otherwise, that would strengthen that sin in your life? Wouldn't that make sense? If I'm looking at something that is going to entice me, it's going to feed my flesh, I am asking for trouble. I don't care how much you pray against it, how much you want to be rid of it. But I, we all know from experience, if we feed the flesh, it's going to grow stronger. So guess what? If lustful thoughts are the problem, then you don't, you don't look at anything that would feed it. Anything. So now you have to go through your mind the list. What are things that I would look at, I'd set before my eyes, that would actually strengthen the lust of the flesh? That would stir it up. You can't justify it. You cannot justify it. You can't say it's okay. Hmm. I, I think this is one of those areas where we want victory over sin on our terms not on the Lord's terms if your tongue is your besetting sin with which you bless God and curse man from which comes criticism, or caustic words, then you want to take some serious action guarding the thoughts that fill your heart. For Christ said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So what what am I thinking about? Perhaps you struggle with the sin of covetousness. You want more and more. You're never satisfied. Well, the last thing you want to do is to spend your time looking through a sale paper or a catalog. Because you're just enticing a spirit of covetousness. What about those other sins? Those sins that are, I would call, more intangible, like the sin of unbelief or the sin of pride or the sin of impatience, whatever it is. I want to say something here that really is critical to this point in my message about mortifying the deeds of the body, putting the sin to death. You've often heard it said that if a man is trying to overcome the power of drink, the power of alcohol, then he shouldn't go near a bar. And that's all fine and good and very true. Why in the world would you do that if that's what you struggle with? You stay away from it. But I mean for, far more than that here. I mean that anything, anything that actually strengthens it, actually feeds your flesh, even if it's not in the area that you are having trouble with, is going to strengthen that sense principle. It's not simply enough, you see, to avoid those things that would feed your lustful thoughts. Anything that would strengthen the flesh is to be mortified. Anything. If it's going to strengthen your flesh, it's going to weaken your spirit. It's going to lead you away from the Lord, not to the Lord. It's going to strengthen the sin principle in every area of your life. So I have to look at my life and then say well, well what are the things that would lead me away from the Lord what were the things that would leave me with a cold heart what would, what, what, what are the things that would really chill my spiritual desires what are they We would like to be able to say with the Apostle Paul for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But are we as ready and quick to say from the heart I count everything but dung. I will suffer the loss of all things that I might win Christ. I'll give it up I'll get rid of it. Whatever it is, if it's going to get in the way of me living for Christ. Because if I don't, I am not mortifying the deeds of the body. Thirdly, walk. To do this, mortify the deeds of the body, walk In the Spirit. If ye, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the flesh, ye shall live. Maybe as you've been listening to me deal with you've got to kill, you've got to mortify, you've got to put to death, Uh, any of those things that will actually strengthen the sin principle and weaken the spirit within you and you've sat there wondering how in the world am I going to do this? How in the world is that going to happen? Well, you see, here's the wonderful truth that Paul brings out in in that text. The fact of the matter is it is the spirit of God alone who is the author of the mortification of the flesh. You are not the author of it. You don't commence it. He is the author of the mortification of the flesh, the putting to death, the weakening of sin in the life. He is the only one who can really get the job done. It's obvious when Paul says, we can't get the job done. That doesn't mean I just back off and put my feet up and say, I'm going to let go and let God. You already know That's nonsense. But it is the Holy Ghost is the one who can only get the, what needs to be done to deal with this dilemma of sin. He's the only one. We are absolutely dependent upon the Holy Ghost to get it sin, weakened, starved, choked, and the new man growing stronger. Everything that you and I may try to do by way of weakening the flesh without him is as if you did nothing at all. You can double down on how much time you spend in prayer, and there would be nothing wrong with that one. And you can double down on how much time you spend reading the Word of God. You can throw your TV set out the window. That'd be a good thing to do as well. You can do all those things and your attempts to grow stronger and overcome the flesh. But it as is as if you did nothing at all if the Holy Ghost is not working. It's just mechanical. It's like going back, that surrendering again. If I just surrender, it's going to be fine. Everything that that we can use in this weakening of the flesh, this old rotten nature inside of us, is ours as a gift from Christ. It is a gift of grace. You don't work for it. You don't earn it. You don't merit it. It's a gift. The Shorter Catechism asks the question, what is sanctification? what is sanctification? Sanctification is the work of God's free grace. Notice how it starts. It's the not of us. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God... And are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. That is sanctification. That's what this battle of sin with sin is all about. But it's God's work of grace in us. And he is the one who enables us as we want to be transformed into that image of the Lord. He is the one who enables us, who strengthens us to die more and more unto sin and more and more to live under righteousness. How long y'all been saved? How long y'all been saved? How many years? Are you the same person you were the day you got saved? Are you the same person I can tell you one thing. If you've been saved, you're not the same person. You have been changed. God says it. You have been predestined. How you like that word? Predestined to be conformed to the image of God's Son. Predestinated. And he which hath begun a good work in you shall perform it. He has done it. He'll keep on performing it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's what I know. The Holy Ghost is given unto us. One of his works is to work this righteousness and to enable us to die more and more. Or little by little. to sin. You don't get it overnight. Are you what you used to be? Are you what you used to be? And if that's the case, you need to ask yourself the question have I ever been born again? Have I been saved? Have have you not conquered sin in your life? Surely you have. You might not see it, but one thing I can guarantee, you look a whole lot more like Christ than you did the first day you were saved. You act a whole more like the Lord now than you did then. The Holy Ghost changes Christ's people. And I'm glad to know that in this war. Amen. It's through the Spirit that we mortify the deeds of the body. We really need a right understanding of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Again in chapter 8 of Romans, he says in verse 11, the apostle, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, that's the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Now that should really lift your heart tonight. The Holy Ghost is called the Spirit, of prom- the Spirit of Promise because God has promised to give us the Spirit to do this very work within. To take away these old stony hearts, hard hearts, sinful hearts, and to give us a heart of flesh. The Holy Ghost has been given to us that, that we might have a tender, uh, sensitive heart. And that new heart is going to war against sin. And the stronger it becomes, the weaker the flesh becomes. Okay, so now how does that spirit work this out? You see, I started out talking about from the human standpoint, here's what you have to do. Obviously, you don't feed the flesh. So you deal with the things that actually strengthen the flesh. But if that's all all the plan of attack is, if that's all your warfare plan is, then you're in deep trouble. And you need not be surprised why there's not going to be an overcoming, a victory. By the Spirit we mortify the deeds of the body. How does he do that? Well, in the first place, the Holy Spirit works this out within us, thankfully, by causing our hearts, by moving upon us, by causing our hearts to bring forth the fruits of the Spirit that are contrary to the works of the flesh. He does that. Why have you changed? Why are you not the same person you were before the Lord saved you? Why has there been, it may be, I agree, I wholeheartedly agree with you. It's not been at the rate you would like it to be. And perhaps it's not at the rate that your spouse would like it to be, as I look at my wife tonight. That's all fine and good. But the change has taken place because the Holy Ghost has been causing growth in the fruit of the Spirit. He is the one that brings about the growth of love. He puts it there. And the joy and the peace and the long-suffering and the goodness and the meekness and the temperance. He does that. You don't do that. He's the one who causes you to grow spiritually and to thrive. He's the one that brings whatever needs to be brought into your life. And and tonight's message is just one of the things that, in the goodness of God, Christ brings into your life that you might grow thereby, that you might be enabled to better mortify the deeds of the body. How to approach this whole dilemma with sin. You see, they, they, they can't both be strong in you. The, the, the spirit and the flesh. When one is strong, the other is weak. And when your spiritual graces are flourishing, then the works of the flesh are languishing. You just don't see a tree that's bounding with fruit dying on the vine. You see a a tree bounding with fruit, you know that's a good, healthy tree. And you don't see them both together. But not only does the Holy Spirit bring forth these fruits that are really nothing more, nothing less than likeness to Christ. He himself actually attacks the root of sin, the habit of sin in our lives. He himself attacks and weakens and destroys and takes it away. He's called in Isaiah 4.4 the spirit of judgment and burning. And as the spirit of judgment and burning... As the judge, he condemns the sin in our flesh, and as the spirit of burning, he he, he his fires burn away the dross of sin, as the hymn says, and brings holiness within. He does it, but more than anything else, he brings the child of God to Christ and to His cross. That's what he does. He has been sent to teach us what we have and what we are in Christ that we might be like him. That's the whole argument of Paul in Romans chapter 6 to exhort these believers to live holy lives. He brings us to Calvary. No there's no greater place for sin to be weakened in your life and for the Spirit to grow stronger than at the cross. The cross is the place of death to sin. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my riches gain, I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. So the hymn writer said, Jesus, keep me near the cross, there a precious fountain, free to all, a healing stream flows from Calvary's mountain. The farther you get from the cross means the nearer you're living to the world. The farther you get out in communion with Christ, the farther you get from Redemption itself, the closer you're getting to this world and the more that old flesh is going to be strengthened. And you need not be shocked that the lust of the flesh overcome you. You've been strengthening it. You've been engaged in the very things that take you away from the cross of Christ. It's filled your mind with the world. And you can't justify it. You cannot justify it. The more I know of the cross, the more I'll know about the death of the flesh. And that's what the Holy Ghost does. He reveals Christ to us. That's part, at least, of our response to the sin that dwells within. So I guess you know what my questions are, the nature they would take. So what are you going to do about it? What, what needs to be done? What changes have to be made? What things do I need to mortify? To strangle, to choke. Because I have the promise of the Holy Ghost to bring that about. Holiness on God's terms and His terms alone. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Let's seek the Lord together. Father in heaven, how we pray this evening that the Holy Spirit will carry on His work. We, The last thing, the last thing, Lord, we want is to be mere hearers of the Word. And certainly I don't want to be just a preacher of the Word and know nothing of the reality of what I have preached. Lord, thou dost know the sin that dwells within us. We thank Thee that all of our sins have already been dealt with by the blood atonement. They can't condemn us ever. They can surely cause us a great deal of grief, and Father, we admit they do. But we also thank Thee tonight for the Holy Spirit who has created within us a real desire to win victories. Oh, Spirit of the living God, we pray that thou wilt fall afresh upon us. Fill us that we might be controlled by thee and not by the flesh. Give us the wisdom to deal frankly with anything that would strengthen this enemy within and to do everything we can that thou hast appointed. For the strength of the new man. And we pray that thou wilt do all of this for the glory of our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.